Can you hear all that? Summer. I am outside on the front lawn at dusk of my childhood home. And all I hear are nature. All I hear is nature. <laughs> Your crickets and buzzing cicadas. There's bats flying through the air and I'm looking at this giant orb in the sky that has a pinkish tint. It's an almost full moon. So tonight the moon is still finishing up its works in the Capricorn field, finishing up that 30 degrees of integrity. <laughs> maybe some coldness, maybe some criticism, maybe some judgment. I don't know, I've, I felt the ice thaw this week. That cancer energy just pouring out, flooding over into Leo. This is Lauren K. Hickman, and you found the Inspired Astrology Podcast. Welcome. Welcome to this space. Wherever you're listening, whatever time it is, wherever you are, welcome. How are you? Just check in, fingers and toes, belly and breath, ears and hair and neck and skin and temperature. I think presence is always a way to pull you back, you know, listening to your body, whatever senses that you have that you're capable of connecting in with. So I'm talking to you on the eve of the full moon in Aquarius for Leo season. The sun entered Leo yesterday. Quite the response these two different seasons you know i mean the zodiac and the cycles of nature are all responses sometimes dramatic responses to the one before it and i really appreciated what uh ash gravity said like sad bitch season to like yes queen season <laughs> something like that i think it was the sad bitch part that i really liked the most for cancer um gosh leo leo a fixed fire sign the fire element tends to exude itself outwardly with enthusiasm, with intensity, with maybe a little bit of uh, ADD symptoms, right? <laughs> a little bit all over the place. Um, but the fixed energy of the Leo can be pretty tremendous in the long haul, in the long stay on staying focused on a task or a dream or a vision which is all about the fire element energy, right? The creative spark, the connections, the visionary, the knowing where you need to go and what needs to happen, that creative piece. But the fixed energy, that's one of the modes. Um, and if you're learning astrology, you know, you have cardinal, initiatory, fixed energy, which is a little more stubborn, fixed, and then mutable, which is adaptable. When I was first learning astrology, none of that really made any sense for me except for the Aries cardinal sign, cardinal. But in my head, I always imagine a red cardinal fire sign. <laughs> so the term fixed, uh, I like to think of it as turning within. You have Scorpio, a fixed sign. 
Aquarius fixed. Taurus <laughs> fixed. <laughs> the idea that we can um, kind of turn within, go within, and find and full, like find ourselves on the insides you know there's there's often the sense of with fixed energies that they continue on when there's emotional turmoil or circumstances in their life external to them um, and they may act like everything's going on okay because they turn inside to work with and process what's happening inside of them Cardinal energies tend to go out into the world and express themselves and try to make sense of things through, through that expression. And mutable energy, I think it's more about doing in the world. It's kind of the process piece. So the fixed fire sign of Leo is associated with the heart. You know, we look at astrology of the body, the heart energy. Core French for heart, courage. And I think that Leo really does speak to that piece of courageousness, of connecting in with our inner and like our authenticity, right? So this full moon, we're dealing with the axis of identity. So each sign has an opposite sign, right? And to find balance, we have to look at the information provided by both of those qualities. So the axis points, imagine them as the scales, you know, um, trying to find the balance point, the center point between them, especially when we're focusing on full moon energies and doing, doing the work, right? You know, I think if you're listening to this or you read my writing, <laughs> you're probably looking for information to help you process and work with your own reality, you know, cause you're looking for a way to change, looking for a way to enrich and inspire your life to give more meaning to this experience here in this university planet earth. <laughs> so these access points, the, the one of identity, you know, we think of Leo, Leo is the second fire sign in the zodiac so we have you know the initiatory aries what am i taurus oh i'm in a body gemini i have a brain look at my brain cancer i have i have feelings and family and a childhood so leo is that first risk-taking point right the risk-taking point to step out into the world and to search for your identity outside of the home, outside of your mind, outside of your body, outside of the subtle life forces within you. So this is authenticity season. This is be your fullest self season. This is the connecting in with your heart season to resonate and resurrect whatever it is that's inside of you that may have been battered down by all of the other experiences that we have in the world. You know, when we forget ourselves in childhood or we're raised in, uh, you know, school system that teaches us to sit down and shut up or that children should be seen and not heard. Leo is a very childlike energy, just like Gemini. It's, it's beautiful. It's creative. It's enriching. It's loving. It's warm. Leo makes a good friend. 
And the energy is connected with the sun. Sun is the planetary ruler of Leo. And that feels really, really right, considering here we are in the Northern Hemisphere. It's the hottest part of the year. The days are still long after the Cancer Solstice. Everything's growing. Everything's being nourished by the sun. This beautiful ball of gas, massive, massive ball of gas at the center of the galaxy that we get to live in. And the sun burns itself up to give life. I think there's something to take away with that, you know, the sacrifice of Leo, giving of oneself generously to share just for the sake of sharing, to give for the sake of giving. But there is a retrieving part, you know, there has to be an exchange there especially with those born in the season of Leo. I think Leo is learning to give without those attachment pieces, without the heartstrings attached, without any expectations or needing a result or a thank you card. Just to give, just to be generous for the sake of it because it feels good to give to others. I always think about that when I feel really curmudgeon or isolated or icky or, or that I don't have enough, that we can, we can give something, right? Whether that's a phone call or a letter, share some food. There's something really precious about that idea of, a, of abundance, of overflowing, even when we don't have a lot. We can see this demonstrated in a lot of cultures that find the most happiness out of giving, throwing bird seed on the ground every morning or feeding a cow. <laughs> Doing something nice for somebody else always feels really good. I think there's something beautiful about that. So I think that's one of the pieces that you know I'm talking about here is this idea of giving generously from an enriched source, knowing that there is always enough, that there is the law of abundance. And I was thinking about how many people ask me, aren't you tired after all those readings? I did 18 on Saturday. I'm so grateful for all of you who came out to Ken. 18 readings in a row. Um, what a blessing, right? And... You know, I can say that, you know, my voice is tired. You know, maybe my back is a little sore after, you know, sitting in a leaning forward posture for the day. You know, maybe I'm a little hungry, but I don't think that fatigue is how it works for me because I'm I'm giving something that doesn't belong to me. And if I can keep that that thought, <laughs> it feels good. It feels really good to give something that's not mine. And to just draw that space and all that resource from everything around us. Everything is vital and full of life. Even the paint on your wall, the concrete on the street. There is so much resource available to us if we touch into that. So what I want to talk about with this full moon, I'm, I'm off book right now because I wanted to sit outside and just stare and take in the energy of Luna right in front of me, hearing all these sounds and the plants surrounding me. When I sat down with the, the chart for this energy, 
the term be the change you wish to see in the world came to mind. That's not a term, that's a quote from Mahatma Gandhi. My teacher says that Mahatma Gandhi is the avatar for our age, the age of Aquarius. You know, so who were, who were other avatars, you ask? Well, we had Master, Master Jesus and Master Buddha for the Piscean Age, teaching the golden rule to some extent in both, both cultures, both sides of the world. Before that, the Mosaic Age, Moses, and the Aryan Age, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so here we are in the Aquarian Age, in this era of dispensation, the idea of being the change you wish to see in the world. We see that quote a lot of places. I mean, it's carved into concrete downtown Des Moines, the old Nolan Plaza. It's on shirts and mugs and necklaces and rings reminding us that we have to be the change. So if Leo and Aquarius are the axis of identity, let's think a little bit about that. We have the personal self, the Leo self, the idea of developing individual identity and then Aquarian the group identity the world service service to self before service to others so in my thinking you know usually like you know Leo full moon I mean (laughs) Aquarius full moon during Leo season it's like you know get your weird on you know post your alien memes wear your strange clothes I I'm not going there you know, I mean, <laughs> how would that be of service to you? You know, I mean, yeah, go party. It's it's Leo season. This is a time uh, that that if you can be around others right now, whether that's still online or out outdoors or with masks on. I mean, of course, this is a very social season because it's it's summer. We have the ability to get out. It's pretty frenetic, actually, the summers, if that's your style anyway. Um I know that's kind of the energy of the season, though. Like, make sure that you're watering your plants and getting outside and enjoying the sunshine. In this world, but not of this world. How can I be the change I wish to see in the world? Well, this moon, we have Saturn and Aquarius. Saturn is the traditional ruler of Aquarius, then we have that square to Uranus, the modern ruler of Aquarius, if that makes any sense. So the Saturn square Uranus is, you know, Saturn is in retrograde currently. We have a lot of planets in retrograde right now, my friends. But because it's moved backwards a little bit, we're just going to keep hitting these, these points very close, but not so close that they're exact. But there's still this friction between what once was and what is to come. So I think the modern ruler of Uranus is is very much in, in tune with, with Aquarius. It's like a lightning bolt. It's about seeing the future, electrifying things, looking at it from a different perspective, having that aha moment, clarity, understanding. Uranus is about the group dynamic and in our charts, it tends to help us to see how we can make an impact on the world, how we generationally, how we individually can make a greater impact on things, where we dare to be different, how we express our freedom or where we need to be the most free. You know, 
talking to Uranus and Sagittarius in the third house, I think that doing uh, <laughs> podcasts was written in the stars for me. I just never realized it. So thanks to those. Mia Boo, if you're out there listening, you're the one who kind of pushed me over the edge. Get out there, Lauren, do it. And Shana, Shana, you, you told me to do this too, and I appreciate you, honey. Hope you feel better. So if Uranus is the part of us that, that helps us to see how we can make an impact on the world, a, a greater shift change, and that's square to Saturn the way that it used to be, what this makes me think of is how collectively, Aquarius, and individually, Leo, we need to unpack our shit. We need to go back through and fix what needs to be fixed. I think there's this idea that revolution is this explosive, throw everything out the window, and then we'll start over from a barren field, right? But you still need resources to work with, and that's the old stuff. Whether it's the old, old stuff, like environmental old stuff, or the ashes of a torn up culture that you're trying to you know, rebuild from the, the charred remains, you still have to use what's old. You have to use what resources are there. You know, Saturn is about building. Uranus is about the insight, the, the clue in, the, the bigger picture. So how can we work with these together during this, this moon? With Neptune, Trine, Mercury in Cancer. Neptune's still in Pisces, of course. Slower moving planet. Um, I think that there's some great insight available. You know, whether that's, uh, that's charmed some bigger picture thing, a project for your community, or if it's just looking at your life from a little bit of different perspective. You know, we always say like Mercury Neptune days are great days to write or do something creative. Maybe it's just time to vision and dream and feel what you need to tap into for your own personal shift change. I keep thinking about like (laughs) Uranus is the vision of where we're taking the ship. And it's, it's like these hopes and these dreams, this idea of what kind of beautiful reality that we can move towards. But here we are in the boat, and it's got a leak in it, and it's missing some things, right? That's Saturn. <laughs> Maybe we just take apart the compass and let it dry out. Maybe we need to just reassemble the things that we already have, that they are inherently good. They just need a little bit of work. And if change comes from within, that means that we can use the systems that we have and break them down to an extent, the things that are not working to make impact, long-term lasting impact. I know that we're all really anxious for things to change. And this last year has really highlighted that in a massive way. I think about the Pluto uh, return, the Pluto return for the United States and how much has come up to the surface, how much has been revealed to us, the darkness, the inherent underbelly of the society, the inherent isms that are destroying our ability to move forward. And that's Saturn stuff, right? But Saturn in Aquarius is a strong sign. I think, I think it's, it's saying that there is something useful to the resources that we have available. So if we take that personally, you know, be the change you wish to see in the world, maybe this is just about 
looking at your life and your systems and everything that you're already utilizing and seeing what needs to be tweaked. I think, I don't know how many times that I've uh, tried to <laughs> take a class or wave a magic wand over my head or do a ritual when I was much younger to, to, to affect change in my life. Very magical way of thinking about things. You know, honestly, you have to put your, you have to put your pen to paper and then put your feet on the pavement to make change happen. You know, this week uh, coming up, I'm going to be celebrating 11 years sober. And that was no easy task. It's gotten easier because I've corrected my patterns, but it's not like I couldn't like wash my brain. <laughs> I couldn't wash out my body overnight. You know, it took time. It took time to detox. It took time to change my patterns and my behavior and my thinking for one thing. Um, that's, you know, a big reason I, you hear me talk about meditation almost every episode. I'm going to keep mentioning it because I, I got to plant a seed and I'm going to keep scattering them <laughs> until they start to grow and flower, right? So I think that's, that's all I really want to say about this full moon in Aquarius. You know, it's a time to be the change you wish to see in the world, to do some inventory on what systems that you have available to you, what patterns, what, what resources that you have that are good, you know, and what's working against them. How are you working against your own greater good and your, and your change and your challenges and your gifts and blessings, all of that. We have that within ourselves. And the radiance that comes from a human being that is self-actualized is the Leo heart shining. If we can all work from that place of the heart radiating beauty and our unique imprint, our frequency, our vibration, you know, it, it's as simple as looking at a couple of birth charts to see how different we all are, right? That we are harmonizing and square and sign waving many different of our own vibrations inside of us. And, and that means that you are unique, and I, I want to see you shine. I want to see you light up, you know, and, and how I imagine this is it's like at a concert back in the day when we could still use lighters instead of the cell phones, right? But maybe you're young enough that all you've seen is cell phones light up at concerts back in the day is, you know, this idea of like the encore and one lighter lights and another one and then another one and then a whole field of fire, a whole field of light fills up. And that's each of us deciding that we're going to turn on our own heart light to let other people know it's okay to do that. And I'm seeing it every day. I, I love being able to connect with the identities that are being shared online and people brave enough to step up and say, this is, this is me. I'm going to express this, whatever it is, my brand of weird, my version of uniqueness. And you can only be you. Forever I try to be other people. Forever I try to make everybody else happy. And I just pushed people away in that process because I was unhappy trying to pretend to be something else. This is me. Little weirdo me sitting out under the moon talking into a recorder. <laughs> so I'm going to bring on a recording of Jen Carruthers, lovingly known as Jen C., she is a staple, my friends, here in the Des Moines area, founder of Drag King Des Moines. 
now working on the board at Capital City Pride, making a big shift change in the safety and safe places and the diversity of queer and LGBTQ friendly spaces. Same thing, I just wanted to acknowledge the spectrum, right? Um, She talks about allyship, she talks about the identity of Gen C, she talks about Girls Rock Des Moines, she talks about trying to um, make it possible for other people to find their authentic self and their identity through mentorship. I couldn't have asked for a better Leo, and it's her birthday today, so Leo Cancer Cusp, Jen Carruthers, coming on for you. Stay inspired. Okay, Um, usually I start with just like a brief meditation. Are you open to that for a second here? Cool. So you can just be where you are and if you want to close your eyes and just get a sense of your body in the space and you can hold Finley and lean into the couch supporting you, just getting a sense of ground from your hip bones. And as you take a breath in, imagine a balloon string just pulling up from your sacred, moving all the way up the spine connecting into your shoulders and neck through the top of your head. Imagine that you're getting a a slight pull just to draw up the sense of alignment with a, a balloon or a star, however you wish to imagine your divine spark, this, this, this connection to source is pulling you up and supporting you. We're going to take a deep breath in Jen. So just pull in through the nostrils and fill up the belly as if you were filling up a balloon. And then deep exhale. Empty, empty, empty. Come back in. Take a sip at the top. Let it all out. And last one. Come back in. Sip at the top. Letting it all out. kind of settle back into your breath we're going to take a moment to connect with the heart space which is very much in alignment with the center of the cancer leo spectrum that you embody both energies being a cusp child (laughs) the heart energy leading the heart energy nourishing and nurturing and and this as the center of ourselves Uh, the heart is one of the first cells to divide and then divide again to create the four chambers of the heart when we're in our development stage. So this is one of the oldest parts of our origin story. And when we think about the heart, we imagine this nourishing, this blood flow, pumping oxygen and detoxifying. It's just this steady warrior that supports us and alerts us. So we're gonna breathe into the heart space just for a moment, just fill up here. And then imagine the exhale pouring out your arms, your elbows, your wrists and fingertips. And then imagine drawing in space from around us, receiving the blessings, the gifts of space, pulling in through the fingertips and the arms back into the heart. I allow myself to share my heart, exhaling, spreading out, softening. Breathing in again through the fingertips. And then just come into that blessing. Let the blessings pour through you, imagining the receiving from the universe, just pouring through your legs, your fingers, your body, your neck, your head, your feet. 
almost soften here and just imagine yourself having gills on the sides of your neck. I call this fish breath, which is kind of funny, but the idea that you can draw in more energy from your surroundings just through tuning into the auditory faculty and through imagining that the breath can enter more spaces than just the nostrils and the mouth. So connecting with the sounds in the space, you know, my voice echoing off walls and some of the electronics buzzing. And imagine you can breathe in those sounds and breathe in the door space and the window space in your room, all of the space inside of here that you can draw that into yourself. And as you exhale, expand yourself to fill up this whole space. Imagine your you know, body just filling up this entire room, all the etheric energy just spreading out and softening, expanding. And next breath will move into the downtown area, taking your mind outside into space. Drawing in the Capitol building and the surrounding parks, the noises outside. And as you exhale, imagine yourself like Alice in Wonderland, just bursting out of this building, out of the confluence, your head getting 100 feet tall, your feet planted on the earth below. And Jen, imagine that you can reach your arms out into this large expanse, this massive space that you get to share. I belong here. So drawing in, maybe gathering that energy from outside and pulling it into your heart. And as you settle back into the space of this room, as you imagine yourself sort of dissolving back into your physical body with this largeness, we're gonna breathe in through the nostril space just to begin into the center of the brow and imagine the breath leaving the temples. And breathing in through the temples, out through the center of the head, in through the brow center, out through the crown of the head, in through the crown and out through the brow center. And just settle in. All that is, thank you for being present with us. And through the divine spirit of love, wisdom, active intelligence, and will and power, reveal that which needs to be revealed so that which needs to be healed can be healed. And we will to will by will and thank you for your presence. Thank you for bringing us together today. And I ask that beings in service to the highest white light stand in the four directions as well as above and below the sacred healing space, honoring our voices, allowing us to commune and provide and share our stories to uplift and inspire somebody out there who may need it. That's nice, huh? <laughs> He's so needy. He's so meaty. Needy. You hear my stop him while you're doing that and he started crying. Aww. Finley, you can you can meditate with us. Maybe you need some meditation. You might. <laughs> so we're in downtown Des Moines and I don't often get to do interviews in person, so this is pretty exciting. But I'm here with Jen Carruthers, lovingly, affectionately known in the Des Moines area as Jen C. For uh, better or for worse. For better or worse, truly. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes we gather those identities and maybe it's a, a mask or a safety net that you get to wear, but it certainly has uh, had a major influence and impact on the Des Moines area. Uh, you call yourself the lesbian entrepreneur online <laughs> and you were um, awarded one of the 40 under 40 awards a couple years ago mm -hmm. here in Des Moines and have made 
The big impact on the way that Capital City Pride has looked in the Des Moines area, as well as spearheading and supporting a lot of businesses through branding and through your general enthusiasm. So I wanted to ask you what it's like to be Gen C, what it's like to be Jennifer Crothers, you know, and, and maybe telling me about your story and where you came up and how you got to do what you're doing now. I mean, to be Gen C is it's insanity that's exhausting, but serves a higher purpose yeah. is kind of how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, just being, you know, a gay person, you know, queer identifying person and a female on top of that. There just wasn't many spaces when I came to the win 20 years ago that were for LGBTQ people that weren't inside of a bar. And then so I looked at that and I just said, you know, what can I do to help start changing that narrative? Because the only way that our community is going to get better and start to thrive and change is if we start creating spaces in Des Moines that are not in a gay bar, which automatically is limiting, right? Because you have to be 21 plus. If you're sober, it's like you might not necessarily want to be in those spaces because they don't feel like safe spaces. And then you start thinking about the rate at which kids are coming out and need support. And it's it was very clear to me that for whatever reason, people listen to me. <laughs> and I have a platform in this in this town. And I felt like if I didn't become more philanthropically involved, specifically around women and LGBTQ rights, that I was doing a huge disservice to our community. And that's how I started to get really super involved with Girls Rock Des Moines, which I've been a part of for almost 10 years, um, and then Capital City Pride. I went to Pride in 2017 and I didn't see myself there. Um, And a good friend of mine felt the same way, even as a cis white gay man, you know, some of the most privileged, he felt the same way. He went to Pride and didn't see himself there. And it's like, what do we do to change that? And now you see what's happened. We went from like a festival of only about 2,500 people to over 30,000 in just three years. And it's because I think for the first time, which anyone who's ever come, you know, come out or uh, come out not necessarily gay, but with an identity of some sort, you know, that wasn't necessarily public or shared with the world. Like, it's amazing to be seen for the first time, and that's what we felt like happened in this build-up to 2019 when over 30,000 people came out to Pride Fest was I think people felt seen for the first time that we were providing events and programming and things that they identified with, and they felt safe in coming out into those spaces and felt like, this is me. And really, the goal was always for not everyone to love what we do, but for everyone to see a little bit of themselves in what we do. Um, whether it's just one event during the year or it's an event, you know, or a program that we do during Pride Month. But the whole point was for people to feel seen and uplifted and, um, you know, feel represented, which is really, really important. And so it's kind of just taking me on a crazy whirlwind. I mean, I started very corporate in Des Moines. Um, my background formally educated, you know, education-wise is business management, urban economic development, worked in real estate for 13 years at Wells Fargo, but I was horribly, horribly like depressed because going to that job every day was soul sucking. Um, but it's really hard to turn your back on stability, retirement, all these things that you're told this is what you're supposed to do because you're supposed to climb the corporate ladder or whatever job you're doing because that's what it means to be successful. And I think like you mentioned 40 under 40, I think when I got 40 under 40, that's what blew my mind that I actually got it is because 
I don't think that my success is one that you typically see of someone that's been 40 under 40. Like, I remember looking at my constituents and my peers that were even in my class for 2019 and thinking to myself, like, this is so rad because I think that I'm helping to change the narrative of what it actually means to be successful, to have impact. And it shouldn't be. And we do this, actually, if you think about this, we do this as a society all the time. Like, what's one of the first things you do when you meet someone? What do you do for a living? 100%. People want to know. And whether they consciously or subconsciously are aware of it, they are sizing up your worth based on the value of your job. What do you make? And it's so it's so messed up because some of the most impactful people that I think I know in this community don't have a six-figure job. You know, and it's like, why do we measure that? You know, why do we measure our, our people in our community based on the job they have versus the impact they're having to make a better community for everyone? And that's kind of what changed a long time ago for me. I got laid off from Wells Fargo and I was like, the stability or the irresponsible factor of leaving Wells was gone. They forced me out because I got laid off. And it was like, what do I want to do with my life now? And I kind of started digging into Girls Rock and getting philanthropy. And then, you know, it just kind of taken me all these different ways. And I was like, well, I don't know if I want to do philanthropy full time because I actually want to make more money. I still want to make impact, but I want to make a little bit more money to live, to live a certain lifestyle. I don't need to make a million dollars, but definitely want to afford my, you know, a certain a certain lifestyle. Um, and so it kind of took me all these different ways and I decided, you know, do some entrepreneurship, started like doing business plan writing, um, helped open Dapper DSM downtown, um, before I thought I was going to move away to Seattle because funny, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be Gen Z anymore. Yeah. Uh, in 2016 when I was going to leave for Seattle, I was so tired of what the energy and the expectation, you know, the energy I had to put out and the expectation that people have with Gen Z that had been building whether I was cognizant or not like a certain level of brand I don't know what if it was the best brand equity but it was definitely its own brand um because you couldn't there wasn't many people you can run into and be like oh do you know Gen C and it was like yeah there's only one Gen C in Des Moines and it just got to the point where it was overwhelming for me where I didn't want to go anywhere like you know because I was going to know someone I just, I didn't want to engage anymore. I, I didn't like the expectation anymore. And I was like, I really just want to move somewhere else and be like, introduce myself as Jen. Yeah. That's it. And so I ended up staying though for a relationship. What Thank- we do sometimes. Yep. Yeah. Thankfully that one's done, as you know. <laughs> um, but it, what it ended up doing all these different like curveballs. And, you know, I, I talked to you at one point about validation, like, I wasn't sure if I, if I was doing right. I'm living, like you said, this artist life where it's like I'm constantly doing this hustle with no actual set stability, and at times it's it's super exhausting, right? And no income, yeah. No, yeah, right. at different times, like zero income, and it's like you get done, like we just did 30 days of pride. We're insane. Um, we did literally one event per day for 30 days. I, would, I only missed two events in 30 days. I was at every single event for 30 days uh, while working a full-time job, a part-time job. And I'm also in the process of trying to get a brick-and-mortar building for a project that I'm working on for an, uh, a new gay bar. And it's like, what am I doing? Those 30 days, I got paid nothing. But then when I saw the impact on the community, and this is what it goes back to, like, what is truly success? And I think what success is, I got done with that month, and I saw so many kids out there, families, gay, straight, everything. It was like this utopian 
world that I wish was our world every day. What we essentially did is we created safe spaces all over Des Moines, which goes back to like even why I started dragging DSM, which we can get to that at some point too. Um, we created safe spaces that people would never typically go because even though we're in 2021, people still don't know if they're safe going to them. Like, you know, I've never seen so many um, gay men who do not care about sports at the Iowa Cubs Pride Night Out, but they felt safe that Des Moines Gay Men's Chorus were singing the national anthem, and we filled four sections, almost a thousand people um, at an Iowa Cubs game. And then like the Rainbow Safari, I had so many people come up to me at Blank Park Zoo and say, I've never been to the zoo and I've lived in Des Moines like for however long, like me like 20 years, it's because they never felt safe. But because Capital City Pride was doing it and it was in conjunction, all of a sudden we created safe spaces for people to do things that weren't in gay bars. And the response has been overwhelming, like so overwhelming that we're gonna probably end up doing 30 days of Pride plus Pride Fest next year. And it's like, as tired as I was at the end of the month, it brought me back to that validation of, I know what I'm doing is what my purpose is in this life. Like, I, I know that. Like, I am changing the way that this community looks and supports the gay community, but not only supports it, I feel like we're also giving more advocacy out of it. Um, I call people that are allies now, true active allies, accomplices. Like, I think ally is such an old term now because everyone says they're an ally, but what are you actively doing to change it if you're really an ally? And what are you, what are you doing with your place of privilege, whatever that privilege may be? Mm-hmm. What are you doing to help that marginalized community that you claim to be an ally for? It's like, no, like we need more and more accomplices. Like we need active people in places of privilege to start doing the work with us right next to us to change it. Like that's even like with pride board. Now we have some, we have some straight folks on the board, but it's important because if the only people that advocate for a marginalized community are the people within that community, we're not going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been an interesting ride. Like I do, like, you know, I do dragging DSM. You performed in it. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was awesome. And what was that experience like for you? Wow. Being, just being in a space of like, you know, Woolies again, uh-huh. which is people told me 11 years ago when I, I started doing this, they told me I was dumb because I did the first one. I did it at Rachel Glaza's dance studio mm-hmm. in the East Village and like a hundred people showed up and they're like, if you would do this at the garden, like it would be sold out. It'd be packed like so many hundreds of people. I'm like, but I'm so tired of having only LGBTQ spaces be in gay bars like we need to like if that's the only it's it's not stonewall we don't have to hide in the bars anymore the do dark we wanna, windows and yeah do we want to support them still absolutely but any and everything that we do in this community doesn't mean that it's just in those spaces and so you know year two like all of a sudden 250 people that are at the kirkwood for a social club and then by year three we're at woolies mm-hmm. and you know we're like you know pushing 400 people and then by the following year sold out and pretty much been sold out since Mm -hmm. and so it's something there's just something magical i think about taking a space that's traditionally heteronormative or at least viewed that way and then like queering it up but you get like a crazy mix of people right because i've seen like cis white like super macho dudes come to a drag king show at woolies um that would probably never enter the garden of the saddle Mm -hmm. because 
if their friends ask them what they did on Friday night, they don't want to say they went to the garden because they're like, why'd you go to the garden? You're like, it's like that furrow brown look. But then if you say, hey, I went to a show at Lloyd's, they'll be like, what show? Dragging DSM, still no furrow brown because that is viewed as a safe, which is funny to say, heteronormative place, mm-hmm. right? Especially for big like white macho dudes um, or just cis dudes in general. It doesn't matter, I guess, color at that point. But um, and so it's interesting to see how changing that space and narrative changes the way that people are willing to interact and now support the community that you would never think would do it. I mean, what was that experience kind of like? Well, having been an attendee for years, mm-hmm. you know, I think that it's one of those events that, that people can look forward to, that they can dress up for, that they can feel safe in, whether wherever you are on the spectrum of gender or sexuality or preference, like as long as you're, you know, an accomplice or an mm-hmm. ally to some extent, then everybody is welcome. And I love that sense of inclusivity and then being a performer and being, you know, to me, like as, you know, queer identifying pansexual, I felt like I was on like the most hetero, like normative part of the spectrum based on all the other performers I was with, but I still belong there, mm-hmm. you know? So it was, it was all identities. There were trans men there, there were trans women there in the audience and I mean, all, all genders, all races, it was a completely intersectional event. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it was empowering and I felt really safe in that audience to, mm-hmm. to express myself in a way that I had always And you didn't even bind. To. No, I didn't. <laughs> which <laughs> I did is like, bind. which is a very like non, non, like, like drag king thing. Like that's right. one of the big things if, you know, mm-hmm. if there's, you know, women identifying like women like folk that perform they almost always bind and you're like I don't feel comfortable binding you know because he has some medical stuff going on it's like and it's like you're like how do you feel about that it's like it's your performance art right I was like you know there's even something fun with like you know just some gender fuckery you know what I mean the gender fuckery yeah Yeah. I remember switch the boy wonder said (laughs) like we didn't know we needed your tits Lauren but I'm so glad (laughs) I didn't know that you were out yeah (laughs) oh my god we didn't know we needed them yeah it was it was but it was a cool power I think I remember thinking it was a really really cool and powerful moment because I've never pigeonholed my artists to any stereotype that even is within the gay community you know, like, I've heard the flip side of the coin um, where, you know, trans folks get a hard time because, you know, they're they're projecting the, the artistry in which they now identify. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was always like, you know, drag was technically meant for folks that were trying to portray the other sex, mm-hmm. right? As female projecting men and men projecting females. Yeah. And I, you know... Even like RuPaul, like that's one of the big things people have an issue with RuPaul is because he won't allow trans women. It's just all cis men, uh-huh. maybe not. I think it's I think it's changed because there was Has a, it? yeah because there was a uh, female to male a trans male performer performing Ru? as a woman. Yeah, this well, last I season been on, I haven't been on TV very much the last like two years. I think you've been <laughs> a little busy, Jen, but. <laughs> Well, yeah, I know mm-hmm. that was a big point of contention forever, mm-hmm. was that, you know, mm-hmm. if people want to do performance art, there should be no base pre- like prerequisite. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's why I was saying, like, if you're a trans person, a non-binary person, you know, a woman identifying folk, like, if you want to do Drag King DSM, 
you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care how you identify what you are. The whole point of the artistry is to portray male characteristics and or not. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, that's like like the, his, the historical part of it. But it's like, who are we to say what it feels like to be male? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so I've never, I've never limited my performers in that regard because I think it's so important to allow people to just express themselves. Mm-hmm. The only thing I've never done really is to allow drag queens. And it's because it's so like, I mean, think about this. It's and part of the reason why we started doing this 11 years ago. It's so jacked up. Like you think like women are trans men, right? Um, portraying stereotypical male attributes, right? In this performance art, you think that they would be like in our crazy patriarchal society, right? That they would be the, the top of the top because they're portraying men. Right. But in our just completely ass backwards, just general world mm-hmm. where the patriarchy like reigns supreme to where we go is these men dressing as women as drag queens and or trans women are actually the ones that are like elevated and put on a pedestal in the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's been this like long, it's like I wanted to create this space where I almost wanted the drag queens to be jealous that they couldn't perform in that space. Yeah, because they they get so much clout anyway. Get more pay. Mm-hmm. They get taken better. You know, they get taken better care of on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, like when my performers come, like you know, I pay their gas. I put them up in a hotel. You know, um, I pay them better than what even most drag queens get paid on the road. And it's because of all the disservice they get and the treatment they they get in other spaces. Like I wanted this special place in all places, Des Moines, where. These people get treated like kings for a night. Kings. I want yeah, like I want them to feel like rock stars, where they walk in and they just have a different swagger right when they walk in because it's mm-hmm. the drag king DSM show. And I had to say, I feel like they do. And on top of it, the energy every time in that room, like they bring it every single time because they know that they're valued, they're appreciated. You know, and it's it's mm-hmm. crazy how much that helps when someone's performing and they perform at the rate. I mean, a lot of these people, that's what they're trying to do full time. They might be working like a barista job at, you know, Starbucks like Spiky Van Dyke does um, to help supplement income while they're trying to travel all year round doing this performance art. Mm-hmm. And like, I can't imagine because I don't do that. I understand the hustle, right? But like, I can't imagine going out and doing that. And then at, like night in, night out, you're like not even getting a fraction of the pay of the drag queens. Like you want to talk about pay inequity. Like it's... <laughs> And so I just, uh, I don't know, it's been, a, it's been a really cool thing, and now it's the biggest drag king show in the country. Like, that's mind-blowing to me. Like, how is the largest all-drag king show in the country not in, like... Chicago. San Francisco. Right. Like, New York. It, you know, it's in Des Moines, Iowa. And it's like, you know, and I think it goes back again to, like, if you actively seek out to make a change i think you can make change wherever you're at like des moines seems like probably one of the most least likely places to have the largest drag king show in the country Mm -hmm. but yet here we are and it continues to be the largest like someone just reached out to me from california production company and um i'm in the process of signing a holding agreement for a potential show that's all i can say right now and so it was funny because, I mean, the most I can say, it's just, it's dragging based. Like, that's the most I can really say. And they were talking, like, they've been talking to different people from all over the country. They're like, yeah, 
like we just talked to so-and-so who was actually a pretty big name and they do a drag king show in san francisco whatever and it's like uh 70 people blah 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 and like it's like crazy packed in this venue here and i was like oh like cool i was like that's awesome and he's like so like tell me about your show like what is that like i was like oh i was like uh and it was in a gay bar you know because that's a safe space and it's like but it's like the easy out right and i'm not trying to be like a dick but like it kind of is the easy out like how i felt about that 11 years ago and i said well i have there's a music venue downtown it's one of our bigger like mid-sized music venues um in the downtown area and i said we saw like 700 people and he goes he's like 700 i said oh yeah he's like are there drag queens and stuff i go nope i said it's all kings he goes shut the front door. I go, yeah. And I bring in, I said, I bring in performers from all the country. I said, the show that I'm about to have, I said, I have some people coming from Minneapolis too, from different parts of Oklahoma. I said, Birmingham, Alabama, and then all over the state of Iowa. I was like, this is a smaller show just because we're still recovering some weird times and some performers are still not comfortable traveling. Um, you know, they're just different things. And he was like in Des Moines, Iowa. And I said, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy, huh? It's like, it's the whole field of dreams, Kevin Costner. If you build it, they will come. I was like, and that's kind of how I feel about Drag King DSM. But I don't know. It's been a wild ride. I feel, I feel like you asked me, like, what does it feel like to be Gen Z? Like, every day is different. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, a bunch of my friends have this line that something happens and just, it's always only Gen Z. Like, whatever happened, it's like it, the only Gen Z does that happen to. And, and I don't think it just, it happens. I think we create, I think we create our opportunities. Um, and so it's, it is kind of funny because there has been moments throughout my life where it's like, okay, that's pretty wild. But I think where it comes back to is what are we doing to foster what we want? I'm sure you feel that. Like how scary is it like, you know, to branch out and to like just take this space, you know, that you've been wanting to do for so long, give up the stability of just knowing that if I go, you know, to XYZ job, I'm going to have money coming in mm -hmm. and like living this creative, like creative, you know, creative artistry, almost kind of life. Right. Feast or famine, yeah. you know, some rhythms, some not, you know, unstable income. Mm -hmm. It's, it's challenging, you know? Yeah. It's scary because you don't know what's, what's next, but that's part of the excitement and the draw of it. You have to be a real you have to you have to be a little bit wild to do the kind of work that we do even though they're very unlike but mm -hmm. it's you know I, I mean I think often about you introducing yourself to me you're like oh I'm a, I'm a Leo Cancer cusp you know <laughs> and I'm like okay let's have a look at this you know oh okay I see what you're talking about there you know and and I feel like everything that you share about and I'm I'm in your apartment right now and I went in the bathroom and it's like you have to be the only you that you can be. You have to be that, like, go beyond ordinary. You have the fish picture in the bathroom. Little birdies. Little birdies. Yeah. All right. Fish bird. Whatever. Yeah, it's like yeah. all white birds and then one little weird orange bird in the corner. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's us. And that's how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I, I saw that painting mm -hmm. and I was, you know, and I was like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. I'm the orange birdie in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> and feel just... the bluebirds. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I feel like you... Um, everything that you've just described about making change in the environment, in the space that you're already in. And that it's, at some point you had to realize like, this is just me. I'm not changing. I'm gay. I'm 
move into a, a bigger city. I need to branch myself out. I need to define who I am as a person. And even though that's a development process, like for all of us, mm-hmm. you sort of landed in this place like, yeah, look at me. Like, I don't fit any, any box. And yet I am trying to make an impact so that other people feel safe enough that they can be, become whoever they are whether that's at drag king or intersectionality with pride. Um, I mean, Girls Rock, you mentioned that um, because it's, it's for teen, teen artists, teen females, so that they can get access to band equipment, music equipment, guidance, support on how to, how to be in, in the public. For, it's, but it's also for non-binary kids and... Oh, fem, or female identifying then too. Yeah. Well, we've had trans boys mm-hmm. do it, you know, that started the program identifying as female folk and said, we want to still do this because it's like one of the only spaces that they ever felt safe. And I remember this came up several years ago. Mm-hmm. It's the first time it happened. And um, the parent reached out to us and said, so, you know, here's what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, I understand if you don't want to accept my son now into your program because it's girls rock. And, uh, but just so you know, this has been, I wholeheartedly think the only reason why they've come out is, you know, is Megan now Mason, um, is because of what you all have done and provided that safe space. And like, I remember talking to this board and kind of going back and forth, we didn't know because that's like a hard one, right? It's girls rock Des Moines, but it's also one of those things like kids don't have many safe spaces and the first time that this child comes out, they want to go back to the one program that they've always felt safe and good in. I said, we're denying them their authenticity immediately. Like, how is it the safe space that once held them no longer validates them? It's the first time them coming out, like it's a big deal. And we're gonna be the ones that are gonna deny them when they're gonna get denied so many more times in the rest of their lives, God knows how many times, because they're not cis, they're different. Mm-hmm. Um, according to society right like they're not different they're just who they are but and so now that's the case like we've had several like we had a band um was it a year or two ago um all trans boys they call themselves the spooky boys yeah it's, it's freaking great and it's like this is what it's about it's you know i think we get so pigeonholed into what like the rules are and all these different things and it's like what is best for the people and like you know that was one of the big questions was like you know what are other parents gonna think i said i don't care i said it's this is a you know and we agreed it's this is a child who wants to feel validated and this is one of the few spaces in their very like very early part of their journey that will help them probably be a more confident person and they are now and that's going to be so important we're setting them up for the rest of their life to give them a solid foundation I said, How? that's an easy conversation. I'll take every one of them if I have to, if we have anyone. And guess what? Not one parent mm-hmm. said a thing. They got it. Mm-hmm. You know, they got it. And so, I don't know, it's, it, that's, that's why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. Is because, you know, I think about me, I didn't come out until I was, you know, in my early 20s. But I look back and I'm like, oh my God, mom, I was so gay. And my mom was like, but you weren't. Mm-hmm. She's like, the way I looked at it, is you were just an individual. Mm-hmm. Like, you just happen to like Tonka trucks more than you like Barbies. But she's like, that didn't mean gender of anything to me. That just means that you had a different preference than what a typical little girl might have. Like, you never wanted to wear dresses. She's like, but 
does that mean that you're X, Y, or Z? She's like, you were just always Jennifer to me. And I was like, man, how did I get such a cool mom in the 80s? Do you know how forward thinking that was for the 80s? Mm-hmm. There would have been other parents like trying to shove Barbie dolls down my throat or forcing me into dresses and doing all these things to, sh- to pigeonhole me. And then, like, even then, like, it, it still took me into my 20s to come out. And, like, everyone now is like, how did you not know you were gay until your 20s? And I was like, I don't think it's – I didn't know. I think it was – there wasn't representation. I remember, like, one of the first people that was like, you know, not that Hollywood should be our benchmark for representation, but it is one of those things that's just in our face all the time, was Ellen. And, like, what happened to Ellen? She lost her TV show. She, like, went in the dark forever before, you know, she ended up getting, you know – what is now the most successful talk show of all time. But it's like, that wasn't a very affirming, like, you know, experience to see someone else go through. And like, I was like, you know, but if I would have had all this other representation, like the events that we're doing and the program we're doing for Pride, would I have come out so much sooner? And the answer is probably yes. I just had literally no representation. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I didn't even really know it was a thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Obviously those times have changed, you know, because I'm old. Well, I was going to ask as a, you know, a Gen X person. Um, Is that even what we are? Like what I'm, I am? I'm an elder millennial. And I because think that like, you're tail end Gen X. So like I read an article not too long ago that they don't know how to like bridge the gap there. Yeah, because yeah. of the technological, like we started to get more into like when apples and things like that started happening in the early 80s. Uh-huh. And so there's like this weird, they don't know how to quite label us yeah well that's fine but okay so we're thinking i'm thinking about where how wherever we are on the generational spectrum you know yeah uh what do you see happening and changing like especially with the girls rock group and the younger people coming up today like i think you know it's already starting to happen a lot of our kiddos that were rockers are now counseling like that's it's starting its own like revolution we like it's like a little evolution of a revolution. Like, we always knew um, that the kids that were in the program, we wanted, to be, we wanted them to be people that took over the program at some point and continue to pack the next generation after the next generation, right? So that it's like this, this, you know, family experience of, like, passing it down, you know, to the next, to the next, to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, that's, that's what our hope is, that the... The majority, because there's a handful of us um, that have been there for quite some time, just to make sure that it continues to grow and be supported. And I think we're getting, you know, we're still young. Ten years is really not that long a time in nonprofit world. Um, it's still kind of in its infancy in that regard on some levels, because I think it's gotten to the point where everyone knows who we are now, but there's still people that don't know who we are, which means we're still young. Like, you go around and ask Variety Children of Iowa, everyone knows Variety Children of Iowa, right? They've been, they've been around forever. And it's like... We need, me in particular and other people, we need the fresh new perspective, insight, all that. Um, and we need those kids to start taking over. Or someone, you know, just because there's a reason why there's term limits and things on boards and all that. It's because you just get tired. Like, I just stepped down as president this year. I told them in September of last year um, that would be done January 1 because I can't be president of Pride and be president of Girls Rock, as it's just too much. Um, but a lot of me wanting to step back is I've been serving for quite some time, and I, I think it's just time for new voices, 
to help change and also help grow. Um, I think growth happens when you get a new perspective. Otherwise, you're just kind of stagnant. You're in the same thing because you only know what you know. And so when new people come in, they kind of challenge it in a good way, right? And so that's what my hope is with Girls Rot specifically is we start getting some of these folks to be full-time committed and they just take over the program and let old people like me just be done. And then I just show up and volunteer, you know, every once in a while, but I'm not helping run things anymore. Whichever, I've already, as board advisor now, I don't really run much at all. I just kind of am there for board president, for general board support, but like I've taken a big, you know, which has been really weird. It's been super weird because that's been a big part of my life for the last decade. Uh, so to have that gone, but it also feels good because it's like, to me, it feels like the, uh, raising a little baby bird now you say fly <laughs> speaking of birds orange birds but it's like okay little birdie go fly now like it's time mm -hmm. like we've we've coddled you for a while now like let's let's see you take off and that's i think that's where it's going or that's my hope mm -hmm. we'll see great. though time will tell yeah well i is there anything that you would have told your let's say your 13 year old self or maybe your 24-year-old self, you know, looking back, if you could, we talked some about representation and seeing and Id identifying with other mm -hmm. people that you relate with. Mm -hmm. What would you tell her? Um, I think one of the biggest things I wouldn't have wasted, and I'm not saying waste, because I learned a lot of valuable skill sets and whatnot working for Wells Fargo for 13 years, but I was pigeonholed into that whole this is what success looks like. And, you know, I just, I, I spoke on the Girl Scouts of Greater Iowa. They had their kicky cook, or cookie kickoff a couple months ago, and they asked me to speak. Mm -hmm. And, like, what I, one of the things I left them with is, I just want you to know that, like, no, no two successes look the same. And to me, success is being happy. It's not monetary. Like, yes, do you need, like, a bare minimum to live? Because you have to pay, you know utilities and rent or mortgages and things like that and you have to put food on your table and it's like I wish someone would have told me way back then that I should just forge my own path and as long as I'm happy and I'm, I'm making an impact that I am just as successful as someone that is the CEO, you know, the CEO of Wells Fargo. I may not have a bazillion million dollars but also, like, one thing I know is, like, I've read a lot of books and watched a lot of documentaries that most people's happiness actually plateaus at $50,000 because the only thing that happens after $50,000 is you just start becoming more of a consumer in the sense that you're just buying things to buy things because that's what our society tells us to do. I mean, I started minimalism, which is why we're sitting in my tiny, which doesn't feel that tiny, like, as you said, but it's only 687 square feet downtown. I've lived in a lot of rad places. You've been to probably almost all my places ever since the Stoop and Sherman Hill. But, like, I've lived in so many places, and I've never been more happy in this space than I have in any of my spaces. And I'm talking about places 2,200 square feet, 3,500. I mean, the mansion over in um, North Union Park was ginormous. It was a three-story old Victorian. It was huge with, like, four porches. And it was cool, but it also was, like, one thing I've learned with this whole minimalism thing is... Um, the less you have to take home, like take care of at home, uh, the less stress you have, the more free time you have to do other things. Although free time with me is a joke because I feel like I have no free time and that's my own fault. So I'd also tell my younger self to be like, boundaries. figure out how to create. I still, I still have horrible times with boundaries. I am a yes person. I'm a people pleasing person. That's another piece I'd say, you know, 
learn how to set those boundaries because there's times where I'm so exhausted. Like, you know, I carve out time to like set up for myself and then something comes up and someone asks me I'm like, okay, yes. And then I automatically have this like weight where I'm like, oh, like, but shit, I really needed that time for like myself, but I don't like to disappoint other people. And I, uh, I think that's another big lesson that, you know, people often misconstrue just because you have free available time doesn't mean that it's for other people. Correct. Yeah. And that's, that's a hard one, but like, you know, I do like, I just, I'm so driven to want to make a change that every meeting or, you know, contact or networking opportunity to me is an opportunity to continue to perpetuate things and make it better because I can meet so-and-so or so-and-so and they might be able to do this, this or this to help with whatever's going on in my life. You know, whether it's like a donor, you know, a sponsor, or it's just a connection of someone that would be a great mentor, you know, that's kind of has a type of lifestyle of me, but those are probably the big, biggest things is I look at the 40 under 40 and you know, a bunch of the words I've, I've gotten. And it's like, it is possible to forge your own way and not have a stereotypical, I'm not a CEO. I'm not an executive director. Like I literally serve part time and I, you know, work part time for another business locally. And I do all this other stuff on the side while still doing my entrepreneurial things. It's like, you don't have to be those things to be successful. And I think that was really hard for me for a long time. And that's why I stuck with Wells Fargo for so long is because I was told to be successful. Like I mentioned this previously, you're supposed to climb the corporate ladder. And if you don't climb it and you don't keep getting those pay raises and do all these things, you're not successful. Mm -hmm. Because the benchmark goes back to what do you do for a living? We predicate people's worth over and over again on how much they make. And that's such a bullshit narrative. It's such a bullshit narrative. Like, I'm living proof of that. And that's, you know, I I remember with 40 Under 40, they put me on the cover. I, I, the, in all the years they've been doing 40 Under 40, we were the 20th year class. So, I mean, that's only, um, you know, there's not, it's not that many people if you think about it. I mean, they do 40 people, 20 years, that's 800 people. I mean, that's it. And I was the first one that they ever put my face on the front cover normally they pick like three to four of the winners and that's the front cover and i remember um people telling me like it's the first time they felt they had a chance to win an award of that type because they knew me and i wasn't x y or z and it, it gave them the opportunity or the i guess the hope that you can be successful without doing those type of things. Cause I think we question it. I questioned it forever. And I stayed in a job that I hated that literally made me depressed. Like I couldn't get out of bed at one point in my life because I was so depressed working that job because I don't think that's what my purpose is ultimately on this, you know, in this life. And I think if we're not serving our higher purpose of what we're meant to do, I, whether you believe in God or just the goddesses or just some kind of higher being or the energy of the world, you know, it's like you get what you put out, you know, get back what we put out. And it's it's one of those things where if you're not doing that, I just, I don't think you're ever going to be happy because you're always going to feel unfulfilled. So as even exhausted as I, I, I've been or get, I still will choose this life every day and twice on Sunday over what I did for 13 years. You know what I mean? But it's scary. Like you said, it's a big risk. This is not the easy life. There's no guaranteed stability. Um... But then when you have impact and you 
affect people in such a positive way. It's like so validating. Like you, you realize that you're finally serving your purpose and it feels good. It's fulfilling. And so that's what I would tell the young 13 year old instead of all the bullshit we've been fed over all the years, you know, do your job, work 40 years for a company, retire, have this much money, but like, you know, but what if you die? So I sat there and busted my ass in a job that I hate for however many years. If, I, if it would have been with Wells Fargo and I went to, you know, 55 retirement, I would have been there 35 years, almost 40. So I started right out of college. And what if I died? And then all the money that I stashed away in my 401k, all of it, like, what did I get to do that was so great? I just basically spent my whole life working my ass off to not bear any of the fruit of that labor. And, like, that hit me at one point, too. That, like, that was really scary to think what if I just fall over, like I keel over and die? Right. Like nothing's guaranteed in this life. Totally. And there's, there's no, there's no ill will towards these larger corporations no. because service, service is really necessary. And I think that that's the takeaway here is how many people are living in depression and suffering because they're not following their path. Yeah. They're like, they're calling. Mm-hmm. Um, their personal le- legend, personal legend is the way that like the alchemist would describe it. You know, and, and there was something inside of you that was like, I can't do this anymore. And then they laid you off, which is like, oh, okay, that's a big relief. It was. Like, mm-hmm. literally, we were walking down the hallway and people were like bawling. I get it because they have, yeah, they have partners, they have kids, they have all these things they have to worry about. And I was like, literally, the one being like, I was like, so how's this severance work? Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like smiling. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Hook it up. Get me out of here. Yeah. I was like, what do yeah. I have to do? Like, how much longer do I have to work? And then, like, and I get it for how long? Okay. And I, and I was, I was the direct opposite because it was like, I'm free. Yeah. I'm free. I get to like, you know, as much as we say, you know, like we get older and our parents, what they think what shouldn't matter as much, mm-hmm. but like, I'm still my, my parents' kid. And I remember thinking, I was like, I get to finally tell them I'm just done with Wells Fargo because they did it. Yeah. Like I didn't do it because yeah. I, my, they knew I'd been toddling. I'd been, you know, depressed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they did it to me. And it was like the best thing ever. Because uh, I didn't have to make that decision nor feel that that sense of irresponsibility. And I look back on it now, I'm like, God, I was dumb. <laughs> like, I was so unhappy. I couldn't get out of bed. Why? And which I think most people probably wouldn't even believe about me. Well, because you're so bubbly most of the time. You know, even when you're really tired. <laughs> yeah, but like when people yeah. see me sometimes in public and I'm in super tired and they're like, they'll be like, uh, what's wrong with you? Like, I'll get messages. I'm like, I'm just tired. I, I don't always want, yeah. and this is the Gen C part of it. Mm-hmm. I don't always want to be Gen C. Sometimes I just want to be Gen. Mm-hmm. I just want to be quiet. Mm-hmm. And I just want to navigate below the radar. Yeah. Like I just need that quiet time I've learned as I've gotten older. And COVID showed that to me too. Mm-hmm. That I actually, you know, I spent most of my time alone in this apartment. Mm-hmm. And I was content. Yeah. You know? So you got that, that home. I miss my, yeah, I miss my extrovert, trust me. Like I miss people a lot. But it was like I also just started to value more of the quiet time. And I think that's something that is important for people to embrace, especially if you live chaotic lives. Like, chunking out that time is so important, and I've learned it more and more. Like, if I don't get it, I get cranky now. Like, it just – because a lot of energy is sucked out of me on a regular basis from a lot of people. It's not even my own energy that I'm putting out, but what people are taking, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you feel that. I don't allow that. (laughs) (laughs) Teach me your ways. How do I block that? You say no, Jen. But thank you for saying yes for this today. I appreciate the conversation. (laughs) Yeah.
Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's funny when you, like, you're like, what's it like to be Gen Z? I was like, I don't think I'm that interesting. <laughs> I just think I'm crazy busy. That's how I always, I always look at it. It's like, I'm just really busy. You're making an impact, and, yeah. and uh, that's valuable. Oh, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. So. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And that was Jen C. You can find her on Instagram as The Lesbian Entrepreneur. Um, You can find her work online as well through her production company, which I will list in the episode notes. Um, She's doing some pretty amazing things, people, especially for here in Des Moines, Iowa. And I hope that that scatters out into the world, creating more safe spaces, more diverse spaces to get that human umbrella a little bigger more wide and more heartfelt this is lauren k hickman you're listening to the inspired astrology podcast we are sponsored by k apothecary in mount vernon iowa you can find their products their shop their workshops online a whole community at kapothecary.com And I am just looking forward to this weekend, seeing clients in person here in Des Moines, Iowa, doing full Reiki and astrology sessions, which are two hours. Um, I'm continuing to offer virtual discounts uh, now that I'm seeing clients in person and also wanting to make that accessible and available to people on on a broader scale. So if you are interested in getting a reading, feel free to email me, DM me, you know, send a homing pigeon, (laughs) messenger crane. Uh, So from Dragon and I, I hope that you have a beautiful full moon in Aquarius and that you're finding your way into your own heart. Stay inspired.